What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> the answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host of The Takeout. That applause you heard is because we're in Austin, Texas this week at the Texas Tribune Festival. Hashtag TribFest2022. For those of you in the audience, if you want to tweet about this interview, please do so. My deep thanks and appreciation to Evan Smith, head of the Texas Tribune, and everyone associated with the Texas Tribune for inviting us down and letting us have the takeout be a part of the Texas Tribune Festival. It's always an honor to be here. Live audience here at St. David's Episcopal Church in downtown Austin. You heard them. You'll hear them going into break and coming out of break because they're here to hear this interview that I'm going to conduct with a member of Congress, the Texas Republican, Chip Roy. Chip, it's great to see you. Major, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. 21st District, it uh, has the edge of Austin and the edge of San Antonio and much in between. Um, I want to ask you three questions about the midterms. First, a prediction. Will Republicans prevail in their hopes of retaking the House majority in the midterms? First of all, let me at least just say uh, thank you to Evan Smith. He's a good friend. I probably wouldn't be here uh, but for Evan Smith, so you can blame Evan if you if you prefer I not be here. But uh, but I, I do uh, go, on, go way back with Evan. I know he won't stray too far as he goes on to do other things, but, uh, but God, uh, Godspeed to, to Evan. Um, look, I do believe uh, Republicans will win the House of Representatives. And let me first say, I don't really love getting in the prediction business, mm-hmm. but, but I'll play the game uh, you know, when asked. Uh, because honestly, I'm just saying focused on what we should be doing every day. But if you ask me, I think Republicans will win. I think history dictates that Republicans will win. Uh, I think that is natural. I think that if you look at the overall performance of the administration and the current view among the public of the administration, it endures very much to the benefit of Republicans. I think the Senate is a closer call. Mm -hmm. I think you're looking at one to two seats in the Senate, and it could be still come out 50-50, 51-52. But I think, you know, if I had to guess it right now, I'd say 15 to 20 uh, majority uh, for Republicans in the House and, and one to two in the Senate, but it's going to be close in do the you, Senate. Do you have confidence in the results of the 2022 election? Uh, sh- yes. I mean, l- look, I-, I think we have to do a lot to continue to instill confidence. I think the Texas legislature passed uh, legislation to try to do that. I think a lot of states have. Uh, I think we should have full faith and confidence. I have real problems, as I've been public about about the massive expansion of mail-in ballots, both prior to and as a direct result of COVID. Uh, It was a bipartisan agreement prior to COVID Mm -hmm. that mail-in ballots raised certain questions. Uh, I believe they could still raise questions. I prefer same-day voting. I prefer to have sort of a national holiday, get people to the polls, whatever it takes, and try to tighten that down. Uh, because I do think mail-in ballots are ripe for fraud and abuse. That's not a statement about outcome. We have to go through, do our best, uh, review the elections, and then instill confidence that we're going to move forward and accept the outcomes of elections. But we need, to, we need to make sure that people believe in them. Because I've done a lot of research on this, do you distinguish between early in-person voting and mail-in voting? Uh, I'm not a huge fan of early in-person voting either because uh, facts change, news changes. I think people ought to be voting on the same information at roughly the same time. Even if they choose to vote early in person? 
Correct. That's their preference. I, I would prefer it to be tighter and on election day. If you're going to have early voting, I'd prefer it to be within that week. Um, I prefer what we had with absentee ballots where you have to request it. If you're in the military, if you're infirm, you can't get to the polls. I very much believe in that. We want to give access to everybody, but I think it ought to be as tight to election day as possible and in person as much as possible. All right. If, as you suggested, Republicans gain control of the House of Representatives, what practical and noticeable difference will the country see in regards to inflation? Well, I think right out of the gate, I can, at least speaking from my perspective, um, and, and what I hope that a majority of, uh, of the House, if it were a Republican-led majority, would do, would immediately stop uh, the expansive spending binge that we have been on now for a, a while. Now, I'm not holding my breath. I've been an equal opportunity basher of both sides of the aisle for their profligate spending. Uh, in, in there was no, a secret vote in the Republican conference to bring back earmarks. And I opposed it loudly, and I publicly fought it because I'm not a fan of earmarks. I think it, it, it is the currency of corruption in Washington to buy and sell votes. Uh, but that being said, uh, I do believe there would be a palpable difference uh, in how uh, we approach the spending question. But also remember, how you do things matters. Uh, there is a pledge by Republicans to change things in the way, when we get back into, Lord willing, control of the majority. Um, we have not, and by the way, we have not had a vote, an amendment in open debate on the floor of the House since, for six and a half years, since 2016. Now, both Republicans and Democrats have been in charge of the House during that time. Correct. I've been pushing for that change. I think there is general acceptance. Explain why that matters. Well, because if you're a rank and file member of the House, right. as I am, a backbencher, uh, representing the people of Boston, San Antonio, the Hill Country, I should be able to go to the floor of the House of Representatives and amend a bill. I should be able to offer an amendment. Now, you can have some restrictions so you don't have to have 6,000 amendments. But maybe if, say, 10% of the body signs on to your amendment, you get a vote. Uh, but you can't close it off by rule, which is what happens. Both parties do it. Yep. I just want to be 100% To control the floor. And so my view is it shouldn't be that just a handful of leadership uh, uh, get to make that decision. And so a lot of my colleagues, a little more in the sort of Freedom Caucus wing of the party, are pushing our side to say, let's end that practice. And I don't want like a what's a good, you know, oh, you did it to us, so let's do it to you. Let's fix the House of Representatives. We should have open debate. We should restore the appropriations process. We should actually go through and balance a budget, spend that balanced budget, have an appropriations process that works, rather than what we do right now, which we just... Do you believe a majority of House Republicans would vote to balance the budget? I believe they would, but... but You're not sure. But here's the problem. Republicans pull to their corner and they go, oh, defense spending, got to do it. Pay, pay raise for the troops. We got to do this for the troops. We got to do this for defense. We got to do this for Ukraine. Both sides, both, both parties do this. Okay, so we got to spend a lot more money. Okay, but over here we want non-defense discretionary spending. Over here is mandatory spending and exploding off the charts. And oh, by the way, there's this big promise not to raise taxes. And then there's a fight over that. And here we are, trillion dollars deficit every year. Five trillion spent on top of that for COVID. Thirty and a half trillion dollars in debt. That is unacceptable. And so I'm. And I think I've been very public about this, pushing my side. Say, guys, you got to have a guns and butter conversation. You got to live within your means. And the biggest problem with it, Major, isn't the debt. That's a problem. And it's weakening the dollar and destabilizing our currency and undermining confidence. But it's really that we never have to sit in a table like all of you and make a tough decision. Like when you have to decide whether you're going to send your kids to a private school or not, or if you're going to go to a vacation or not, or buy a new car or not, or change your house, or move, you have to decide, can I afford it? You gotta make a choice. If you're running a business, you gotta decide, do I invest in new people or do I invest in new assets? Uh, we never do that. We just write blank checks. And then one side goes outside and gives a press conference about why the other side sucks. And then they say, oh, okay, that's, that's the way we're gonna do things. And I just don't think we should operate that way. Two minutes to go before we go to our first break. Chip Roy, Congressman from the 21st District. What practical and noticeable difference would a House Republican majority, if achieved, make in crime in this country? <clears throat> so, uh, crime is obviously a major problem right now. Um, I think if you had Republicans uh, in the majority, we would take positions in support of law enforcement in ways that I think would be, matter. Now, let me pause for a second. I'm also a believer in federalism. This is primarily a state and local issue. Primarily. And so I'm not all that interested in when I see Republicans going like 200,000 new cops on the street. I'm like, well, I mean, okay. Like, how many cops should we have in Austin? Well, let's figure that out. I think Austin is getting that terribly wrong. I think a $150 million cut to the police force in Austin, Texas was a massive mistake, has endangered Austin, uh, the people of Austin. And I think it's, it's, it's a silly policy. 
I think the state of Texas could have something to say about that in the legislature and probably should. You ask me if I want to get the feds involved with making decisions about how many cops we have on the street in Austin, Texas. That's not my first place where I want to go. Now, we do grants all the time. It's a lot of money. Should we tie strings to those grants to say, why are we giving out money for burn grants or all these different grants to the Department of Justice if you guys are allowing your streets to run rampant with crime, which is what's happening heavily? San Antonio, Austin, throughout the entire country right now, crime is up 50% or more over the last four or five years. Um, I, I do think there's a role for tying some strings to that, but you're not going to see me wanting to be uber aggressive on it. But, but what you say matters. Standing with police matters. Standing up and saying that you're going to actually defend people who are out there on the line trying to keep our community safe matters. And my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, with all due respect, have been undermining our police for the better part of the last four or five years or longer, and it's got to stop. That is the voice of Chip Roy, Congressman of the 21st District. We're at St. David's Episcopal Church, and we're going to go to break for our first break at the Texas Tribune Festival. We're so happy to be here. Hashtag TripFest 2022. I'm Major Garrett Moore with Chip Roy. When we come back, thanks for joining us. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. And many thanks to our very enthusiastic crowd here at St. David's Episcopal Church, part of the Tribune Festival 2022. I'm telling you, this crowd is punching way above its weight when it turns to applause. So well done, crowd. I'm so glad you're as enthusiastic as I am about this conversation with Chip Roy, Congressman, 21st District Republican. What practical effect and noticeable effect, Congressman Roy, if a Republican House majority is achieved, would the country see in terms of immigration? This is probably one of the most important questions we can talk about at the moment. Uh, and I can tell you that in the district... And remember, I, practical, noticeable difference. Right. In the district that I represent here, Austin, San Antonio, throughout the Hill Country, this is the number one issue over and over and over again <clears> on <throat> polls and anecdotally when I talk to people. Um, and the reason is, is because we're seeing a direct impact on our, on our country and on our state. Um, and in the, in the form of dangerous fentanyl pouring in. I have four people in Hayes County who died from fentanyl poisonings. We've had thousands throughout the state of Texas. 72,000 people have died from fentanyl-related poisonings in the last year. And that's more than the entirety of the Vietnam War. And this is fentanyl that is confirmed to have come across the border. It is 90% coming across our border, heavily driven and pushed by China, coming up through Mexico, generally pushed by the cartels to their profit. But let's also talk about the human toll. <clears throat> Americans dying from fentanyl, migrants dying on our, on our ranches in the border, a thousand known who have died along the Rio Grande or in ranches. There are cemeteries piling up now in South Texas where they're putting up PVC crosses. The sheriff, Benny Martinez, brought in a mobile morgue to put the bodies of migrants. Where is he, the sheriff? Uh, in, uh, oh, he's down in the valley. Where's, ben, where's uh, Brooks County? Thanks. Um, down in Brooks County. And um, that's, that's the reality of what's happening at the border. And let's talk about the sex trafficking and the human trafficking and what's going on throughout our country. I could go on and on about that, but you asked, what will we do differently? And honestly, I hope Republicans would do what they should do. We should not... Uh, uh, enable through the funding mechanism of government the DHS to continue to do what they're doing to this country and to migrants in my opinion in the false name of compassion what are they doing <clears throat> they are enabling cartels to have operational control of our border by using very small loopholes in the law to allow our country to be flooded by human beings who are not even for the most part claiming asylum I'm happy to raise that with anybody who wants to talk about it people say oh these are all people claiming asylum First of all, our laws require that you have credible fear from actual persecution. If you can even get to the place of credible fear for actual persecution, you have to actually have that claim adjudicated. 
Currently, in Eagle Pass, there is a four-acre facility where I've been to. It was opening in June, where they process about 1,200 to 1,500 people a day and release them with notice to appear to come back at some point in the future, which often doesn't happen. In fact, more often than not doesn't happen. Or parole, which was supposed to be designed for a handful of cases, and we're literally processing hundreds if not thousands a day under parole. These aren't asylum claims. Some of them might be asylum claims. And I want to be very clear to my conservative brothers and sisters. I don't believe you walk away from a baby at your, at your doorstep. Mm. I don't believe that you walk away from helping human beings. And I'm tired of migrants getting abused and getting sold in the sex trafficking trade. And I'm tired of that uh, happening to humans. 53 people died in a tractor trailer yep. in San Antonio, Texas from the heat. <clears throat> it's horrible what we're allowing to happen. But you cannot, as a sovereign nation, have a border that literally Border Patrol is no longer actually patrolling. They can't because there are processing centers moving human beings through these processing centers and releasing them into the United States. So what would be different? We should immediately stop that. You could do that very simply. I have legislation, I don't care if it's mine, it could be anybody's, that would require turnaway, much like Title 42, if you are not having full detention here or in some agreement with Mexico for the entirety of the adjudication of a claim. If you don't do that... More or less a return to remain in Mexico. A little bit, but it's more than that. It's, it's, it's a mix of Title 42, remain in Mexico. And by the way, I know remain in Mexico wasn't perfect. I know that some of the uh, you know placement of individuals in Mexico mm -hmm. wasn't exactly how we would set it up. Not at but all. But go work with NGOs. Go figure out how to do it right. But once you do the catch and release, once you do the... It's not even catch and release. It's walk in and say, I'm here Declare. and get released. Right. You, if you do that, it will not stop. You have no ability to stop it. We've had 88 individuals attached to uh, uh, countries uh, that are sponsors of terrorism and to entities that, that sponsor terrorism that have been caught through the, through the uh, uh, people that we've actually apprehended. But Major, I haven't talked about the million people that are known gotaways. Like this is the stuff that Border Patrol sees on cameras that we know come across and they're never able to apprehend. And they're your worst actors. Because the ones that are people who just want to come for a better way of life, they come, they walk across. I've, done, I've gone down there. You've done mm -hmm, it, no doubt. Yep. I talked to people. The last trip I made in July, Venezuela, Cuba, yep. Colombia, talked to them in my pretty broken Spanish, but enough to get by. And uh, where are you coming from? Why are you here? And it's almost all, not always, it's almost always better life. Just want to come here. Uh, the border, we've heard we can come. So, okay, great. God bless you. I don't blame you. But I do blame a government that is saying wide open borders is somehow good for us. And by the way, Mexico and the rest of the Western Hemisphere. One you, last point you know. on this rant. If we don't fix this, we are weakening the Western Hemisphere. We are weakening the Northern Triangle. We're weakening Mexico. It's becoming a narco-terrorist state. The Northern Triangle is becoming weaker. The first lady of uh, uh, El Salvador, I think it's Guatemala, uh, said when she visited a year and a half ago, we're losing a lot of our best people. Okay, that's on them partly. I get it. Yes. But we've got to do our part to strengthen the Western Hemisphere. And the rule begins you, and ends, in my opinion, with the rule of law. You mentioned asylum seekers from Cuba, Venezuela. What is your comment on the governor of Texas, the governor of Arizona, and more recently, and with much greater publicity, for whatever reason, the governor of Florida flying those asylum seekers elsewhere in Washington, D.C., New York, and most visibly Martha's Vineyard? Well, first of all, I mean, I have to go through the checklist of everybody there about whether they're truly asylum seekers or not. Right. Some are, some are not. Uh, the large majority of the people who are coming across are not people who could legitimately claim fear of persecution at our borders in terms of the majority of people. Do they belong but in that, Martha's Vineyard? But that being said, uh, what did the governor of our state and the governor of Florida and others do by distributing people around the country? They woke a country up that was not paying attention to what we're dealing with every day. When we've got 100 people getting dropped off in D.C., or 50 in Martha's Vineyard, and now suddenly everybody like put their little wine plate and cheese plate down, and they go, oh, holy crap, there's 50 people here. What do we do? Great. Thanks for waking up to what we're dealing with, 4,000 a day coming into Texas. First time now, I've heard the Governor Abbott or Governor Ducey or Governor DeSantis referred to as a woke politician, but we'll go with that. Well, no, but no, well, look, here's the deal. You're, you're now alert to what's going on here. And let me just say, they're not the only ones doing that. The Democratic leadership of El Paso right now are distributing people around the country. Why? They're overrun. And there they are DHS the flights resources. that do the same thing. There are DHS flights that do the same thing. They're just not as publicized. And, and the thing is, people just need to come to grips with, is this how you want to do business? 
And, and I, I think the answer to that should be no. We, we can't say, oh, anyone in the world who thinks that you need a better way of life, just come walk on in without having some process for determining what that is, what the numbers are, and frankly, making sure we're secure in a post 9-11 world. But you know, I think you know, Congressman Roy, that if there is going to be a legislative response, it's going to have to increase the number of judges to adjudicate these claims, increase the wherewithal to handle those who show up at the border. True or not true? It, it, not, not necessarily true, right? I mean, we-, we Just right turn them now, away. We have, the, we have the laws at this point. The best thing we could do for the people who are trying to come here without getting abused by cartels, getting thrown into the sex trafficking trade, having to pay seven or eight or 10 or 12 or $15,000 to do so, having their families put in stash houses, stash houses like the 73 people that were found in our nation's capital, 12 of whom were kids in a stash house. How about the nine people in Bernie, Texas, which I represent right out of San Antonio, two people bound up in the trunk, the driver was an American citizen being paid by the Sinaloas, they were taking those kids to a stash house, thankfully our local law enforcement stopped them, they paid 4,000 bucks to go pick grapes in California. For that my audience system, that doesn't know what a stash house is, what is that? That is a stash house is where multiple things occur. They put people here who are coming here who paid the cartel and they put them there to then distribute them allegedly to their families, oftentimes they are being put into the sex trafficking trade or the actual slave labor trade. We have significant slave labor in this country, people who are getting toiled to death under the radar and essentially indentured servitude. It is happening by the hundreds of thousands in our country. I believe the rule of law is the bulwark against that kind of abuse. I know there are millions of people who want to come to the United States, and God bless them, but we are going to do more for the world if we hold on to the rule of law, push back on cartels, get Mexico to stop being a narco-terrorist state, and you do that by turn away and hold the line. You don't walk away from someone with a legitimate asylum claim, but they've got to make a determination of credible fear, and that's a small percentage of the people who are flooding our, our, our... And look, I'm telling you, I've talked to most of them, and most of them say nothing about any kind of credible fear. It's, I just want a job. I just want a better way of life. God bless them. I agree. But you can't have that where this system is doing what it's doing right now to them and to our people, too. That is the voice of Chip Roy. We are talking to him at the Texas Tribune Festival. Our live audience is here. You can hear them right now. <clears throat> I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned to the Takeout Segment 3 from the Texas Tribune Festival coming up in just one moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout, and we are at St. David's Episcopal Church, downtown Austin, Texas, Texas Tribune Festival. Again, many thanks to Evan Smith for bringing us down here, letting us do The Takeout. We did it here in 2019, then this thing happened. You probably read about in the papers. Now we're back live audience. It's great to see you. Thanks for being here. Chip Roy is our guest, Congressman 21st District. Okay, we've gone over inflation, crime, and immigration. I want to ask you about a couple of other things. Um... You might have read about it. A search warrant was executed at Mar-a-Lago. What is your overall assessment of the trajectory of that case? You have called for the ability of some members with adequate clearance in Congress to see the full affidavit. A special master has been appointed. A special master this week said to former President Trump and his attorneys, the former president has said in social media that the FBI might have planted things. I want you to submit before me all the evidence you have to prove or validate that or cease and desist in those representations. I'd like your overall thoughts. Uh, first of all, you mentioned, just for clarity, when I, on the affidavit, we had a uh, debate in the House Judiciary Committee, mm -hmm. on which I served last week, in which this was raised. Mm -hmm. And one of my colleagues had submitted what's called a request for information of the, of the administration to see the entirety of the affidavit. 
It is my general belief as a believer in Article One primacy, not supremacy, but primacy. It is Article One. Article One of the that, Constitution. That we deserve to see information from the administration. Pause for one second. I have a little credibility here. The, one of the first months I was on the job, I, I actually voted to subpoena members of the administration, the Trump administration, much to their chagrin, I can promise you, uh, over the issue of the UACs, unaccompanied alien children. I wanted to know the truth. Where are these kids? Who's, what's happened to them? Mm -hmm. I did the same thing with the Article One Act with Mike Lee. We should end executive power. I did that under Trump. Mm -hmm. I did that in the context of a border wall, which I support, because I want to look down the football field and protect Article One Congress power, congressional power over the executive branch. Now, it's an important aside. Mm -hmm. Now to this question, I was saying, guys, we should see what's in the affidavit. And to your point, if there's something classified in it, great. Let's just walk down to the skiff where we look at classified information and let's look at it, because I want to know what's in it. And I think people on sort of both sides, if there's a side to seeking, you know, under the rule of law, the truth. Uh, should want to know the truth, right? I just want to know, like, what's in the affidavit? What served it? I'm a former federal prosecutor, briefly, for a couple of years. And, you know, what, what you put forward as the affidavit as to why you're, you know, seeking uh, law enforcement to be able to go into someone's home matters. And so, and, and under, when it's a former president, and when you're talking about classified information, right, that raises a whole host of issues which are highly complex. Uh, and it raises issues, of course, people on my side of the aisle will then point to Hillary Clinton and the servers and all that. My, my views on this are pretty simple. I want to seek truth wherever it may lead. I want to have uh, our ability to go get the information that's necessary. You want accountability, but I presume. I want accountability. In you know, sure. I mean, when you look at what, where the, um, uh, you know, what, what boxes have what in them and all of that stuff. But, but do remember, and it, this is important, it does matter how we do these things. It does matter how we view as a president and what he or she has access to in terms of information and what he or she does for classification and declassification. In our Judiciary Committee, we had a debate about this, and my Democratic colleague uh, from Rhode Island said, uh, look, we have processes for this. And my friend from North Carolina, Mr. Bishop, said, well, well, wait, are there laws? Are there specific statutes that you're saying that were violated? Uh, and then Mr. Cicilline came back and said, well, no, but there are processes for how you declassify. We've, we ought to be clear about what this is. Maybe we should have some statutory changes to clarify what this means. But you then get into the issues of executive um, power and what the president can or can't have access to. If the president sees all this stuff and it's in his head, then what's the violation? These are legitimate questions, by the way, no matter who's, mm -hmm. which party is which. I'd like, to, I'd like to know the truth. I'd like to know what's going on. Uh, I think that we will see this unfold. Uh, in the through the the process, the Eleventh Circuit, you know, yes. stepped into it just this week, very um, aggressively. There's, uh, you know, there are uh, Trump appointees that have been on kind of both sides of the thing. Yep. And so we will see how that plays out. Uh, you have faith in that process. I always start with my faith in the okay. process. Let me ask you because you mentioned yeah. uh, declassification. What's in someone's head? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the president, the former president, said this week on tape, you can watch it. I declassified things in my mind. Is, is, he, is, he, is that a credible statement? So this, this begs a question, right? Um, when, when a president knows certain information, he makes a determination that something is declassified. If there is any specific statutory requirement that it be done in a certain way, then it then begs a question of separation of powers, something that I'm very keenly aware of and something that I want to protect. Uh, we don't want to interfere with the ability of the commander-in-chief to make some of those decisions when they need to do it. Um, and again, I've not seen the materials. I've not seen what's in the boxes. I've gotten varying and wildly differing reports as to what the materials are. I just asked you if that's a are. credible way of thinking about well, this. Well, if, if, let me put it this way. Let me answer it this way. If I were president of the United States, would I choose to pursue a path there was something other than with other lawyers in the room, here's how I'm going to write down and say, I have declassified X, whatever procedures there are to follow. That would be what I think are the best ways to, to do something. Uh, but if you would not but assert that you fly, declassified <clears throat> something in your mind. <clears throat> but also remember when you're on the fly and you're leaving Correct. <clears throat> office and you're pulling materials out and there are materials that you say are my materials, my presidential materials and records. And you say, and then it turns out some of those are classified. And, uh, you know, then there's a question of what was declassified when. If he was leaving the White House and he goes, look, those things aren't classified, that he tells certain people, whatever, that, that then raises questions. And they are legitimate questions about how we make determinations. Would you be as accommodating and as forgiving if this were President Obama? Well, I, I think that this raises, 
Well, it raises the question of, as we saw with, with Hillary Clinton, right, as we saw with the servers and the information on the servers, you know, uh, same, that same colleague of mine, Mr. Cicilline, was just dismissing of, hey, you can't equate boxes of files and what's being put on, a, on an email server. I would ask my Democratic friends, are those not the same? If you're putting uh, classified information on a server, on a Gmail server? Right. I mean, those are those are things that what well, but but there are varying degrees of classification of the information that 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 uh, that that uh, the Justice Department has Secretary represented and the 11th on a file server. The, 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 the Justice Department has represented and the 11th Circuit has affirmed that it is clear evidence that this was very highly classified information of immediate concern to the federal government. True. And Which so, sounds different than anything I've seen represented about what was on the server or not on the server. Well, th 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 I think there's a lot. No, there's a lot of questions about what were on Hillary Clinton's servers and about what was classified or not and the level of classification. But to the extent that you have classified information by a president of the United States and they have that information in a place that is not secure, regardless of who the person is or the party they have, we should be concerned about its security. We should pursue that. I 100 percent believe that. I've just said here and stipulated, follow the law. Okay. Follow the law and see where it goes. The 11th Circuit made a ruling. We've got the special master that's looking at it. Mm -hmm. I, I, look, this is, I, I was pretty slow to comment on this whole issue mm -hmm. because, again, as a former federal prosecutor, I just want to follow the law. I have a great deal of skepticism of the politicization of the Department of Justice, the FBI, the courts, etc. Both, both directions. I have skepticism about that. But I have a great deal of faith in the end in the rule of law and the separation of powers and our system to, when it gets through it, get to the truth in the end. Two questions. Uh, some of your Republican colleagues in the House have said if House Republicans are in the majority in the next Congress, they will either attempt to or make certain noises about defunding or putting strictures around the FBI. Do you associate yourself with that? So we had a, a debate again, not to bring up the Judiciary Committee, we literally just had a debate again last week on that subject, and uh, I said there what I will say now, which is when you hear phrases like defund the FBI or break up the FBI, uh, my friend, uh, Mr. Bishop, again, next to me said, uh, you know, I might want to see 94 uh, 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 versions of the Department of Justice or FBI, meaning thinking about it through the, the various U.S. attorney's offices and kind of scattering it around the country. Look, I'm someone who is highly skeptical of the concentration of power in Washington or in the federal government, right? So that's my starting place. That's my, my, I have a, a belief in limiting that power, distributing that power. Uh, how that's being used, I think, can be problematic. I would like to see a full top-down review of the Department of Justice. My friend Andy McCarthy, who you probably know mm -hmm. or have met, Andy has written about, he believes post 9-11, the FBI and Department of Justice is a very different animal than pre-9-11. And I think we ought to have a return, in my view, I would take it back to sort of pre-9-11, FBI and Department of Justice, less focused on the domestic terrorism angle, and I think we should kit that into a different entity. I would like to see the FBI getting back to organized crime, human trafficking, what we're seeing with the cartels, working with state and local law enforcement to root that out and to try to break down the politicization of the DOJ and the FBI. A long answer to a yes or no question. I'm Major Garrett. That is Chip Roy. It's not a yes or no question, Major. It was. To fund the FBI right, or not? Right, no, but, but you want to raise the question, should we be providing funds unlimitedly to the FBI without reform? No. There you go. Should we defund the FBI entirety? No. Those are, so that's not a yes or no question Very by your own good. admission. Our live audience here with St. David's Episcopal Church at the Tribune Festival in Austin, Texas. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for segment four of The Takeout in just one moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. That is our live audience here at the Texas Tribune Festival in Austin, Texas. St. David's Episcopal Church is our location. Chip Roy, Congressman of the 21st District of Texas, Republican, is our special guest. Um, Do you think this midterm election is entirely a referendum on President Biden or partially a referendum on people's attitudes about former President Trump? Uh, Obviously the entire electorate are going to make varying decisions based on what's important to them. And there are certain people in this country for whom they're going to be focused heavily on President Trump. There's going to be some that's very heavily on President Biden. Some who want to hear where the current folks running for office want to take us, right? It is a mix. I think overall, history would tell you that it is going to be a reaction to the two years of this president. I think, generally speaking, those of us who study history would say that's largely been the case. Largely been the case. So I think that'll be a response to what have we gotten out of the last two years. And I think that what I see, that's mobilizing a lot of folks. I'm a believer, though, that you win elections by going out and earning those votes. And so I think you've got to go out and talk about what you want to do and where you want to go and then juxtapose that with the current leadership to, uh, you know, draw that distinction. When the election results of 2020 were reported, you were initially somewhat skeptical and you were supportive of efforts to try to find evidence of either malfeasance or fraud. And there are lots of text messages recorded of you suggesting or asking the White House, we we need more information, we didn't get it. And then you stood athwart your colleagues and said no, for reasons of federalism and others, we cannot go down this road. Where do you think your House Republican colleagues are on this question? When you raise it in those terms, you need evidence, you need to adhere to federalism. What do they say? I mean, you want to do this in six minutes, <laughs> but uh, this, this, is a, this is a truly long answer. And, and it's I'll a big try, issue. And, and I'm, it's a big I, issue. I'm going to give you all the time and you I'll need. And tr- I'll try to distill it, but I, let me just take one thing. Fast forward or rewind two years ago right now. So what happened? I just run a $30 million race, the third most expensive race in the country, uh, against Wendy Davis here, okay? And so election night, we get through that. We win by seven points. We're kind of figuring everything out. That's a lot, right, just for us. Now you got the presidential election. It's middle of the night. We're watching all this. You go to sleep at 2. You're like, oh, here we go. All right, next day, now you're getting all the information in. So now what's happening then for the next week? A flood of information that there is misgivings about ballots uh, about the election in various states, Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. I'm getting information incoming from colleagues, information incoming from constituents, information incoming from all sorts of folks. One one point of context. Long before the votes were cast, the former president was sowing doubts about the results of the election. Well, which we cannot forget. Yeah, but we cannot forget the extent to which Democrats have said the exact same thing about sowing doubts in response to the 2016 election and then sowing doubts looking ahead to other elections. Absolutely. There's a hundred. Oh, no. Go back and get. I mean, sit here. We could we could pause. I could pull up in Google on my iPad hundreds of similar quotes by Democrats sowing doubt about the election. But that being said, um, and I'm happy to have that debate anytime. Uh, that being said, you go look at the text and I stand behind them fully and I've had engagements with them. My engagement with the White House was, show us. I, mean, right. I think that's, that was the tenor of everything I was doing in November. Show us. I flew, to, I flew to Georgia. I met with some people there to kind of say, all right, what's going on? Okay, I'm getting information. Well, there's just stuff. There's, you know, uh, whatever suitcases under the table. So, well, then that turned out to be. And I started going through all of the turned facts. Turned out to be false. The, turned out the facts, all the allegations going, wait, what's going on? And so as that unfolded and we got into December, I then started making my position very clear that, well, if, if we're not getting different slates of electors by December 14th, Correct. then our job is to count the friggin' electors. That's what the Constitution tells us to do. So I can disagree with, with y'all about some of my concerns about what Trump said or didn't say or what Democrats said or didn't say in response to the 2016 election, all of that stuff. But I agree in broad terms, and my position is uh, without question and remains to this today firmly that our job is predominantly, if not entirely, ministerial. Mm-hmm. I'm a lawyer, so I'm going to live a little wiggle yep. room around that, no matter who's in the White House. But it's predominantly, if not entirely, ministerial. We count the electors. And if you are a state and you send electors, I don't care if you throw a dart at the dartboard. You send us the electors. You've, you've affirmed certified them and certified them. them. Yep. That's what I've got, and that's what my job is. And it was uh, important to say that. 
I was actually both disturbed and happy to our friend Jay Mart, who's running around here somewhere, that the Jonathan uh, Martin of the, the New York re Times. The recording got released from the Republican meeting on January 5th. I didn't know that until a couple weeks ago, actually. I was sitting around, somebody sent me a link. I was like, wait, that was public? Because it was a private meeting. Um, and I gave a, I don't know, 10 or 15 minute speech at the beginning of that meeting as the sort of, basically, I was making the case, the case in chief, about why we should not reject the electors. I was doing that on purpose because I wanted my colleagues to join me in not rejecting the electors. I believe that was really important. Um, and I think it was an important moment in history. You asked the question, where are my colleagues on that now? I hope and believe that more of them have come to realize the importance of that belief. Um, my conversations indicate that that is likely true. Look, and this is not the first time. I mean, my friend Jamie Raskin and some of my Democratic friends have played a lot of games with the electors in the past uh, on the other side of the aisle. But I would just say I'm proud of holding that line for me and for my constituents, irrespective of what party. Look, and let me tell you something. You know, that view, while maybe more popular here, was not a lot, wasn't really popular in Kerrville. Okay, and so, you know, when you spend the next two months going out, and, and I went out and explained to my conservative constituents, Trump-supporting constituents, guys, you don't want Kamala Harris making a decision sitting in the chair to unilaterally decide the electors any more than I want Mike Pence to do that. And look, and I've said this publicly, I'm proud of Mike Pence for going, you, mm -hmm. can, you can hate him for a thousand reasons, but I'm proud of Mike Pence for being there. I, I was there, I was in the chamber at four o'clock in the morning, and I went down to shake his hand for doing that because it was the right thing to do for the Republican. It was said earlier this week by Liz Cheney <laughs> that in the cloakroom on that day, someone was signing up to reject or support rejecting the electors and said out loud, what we do for the orange Jesus or the things we do for the orange Jesus. Do you think that's an, something that actually happened? Would that be a summary, at least at some level, psychologically, of where some House Republicans were on this question? I, I have no knowledge of that exchange or alleged Does that exchange. sound possible to you? Um, I don't know that if somebody would have said that in that framing or not in the cloakroom. I mean, look, I'm not being coy words. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was not there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I will say something that I literally said in a paper yesterday. I was quoted about the Live Golf Enterprise, uh, which I oppose. Uh, probably, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of people focusing on the PGA Tour live golf fight, but from my standpoint, uh, and I was a walk-on crappy college golfer, and so I love you know, the sport, but, um, or I wouldn't be here probably, which you can applause if you like, but, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the fact is I don't want a billion dollars of Saudi Arabian dollars coming in here to buy off an American institution and promote Saudi Arabia, which is what it's doing. It's straight up PR for Saudi Arabia. I don't want that. And I was quoted yesterday in a paper as just saying, look, a lot of our guys say, well, Trump loves it, so we must too. I said that because that now that was a characterization. It wasn't a quote. No, I understand. And so my point is, is I don't think that way. I just don't. Um, but some of your Republican I, I colleagues do. I represent 750,000 yeah. Texans. I represent them. And even if they disagree with me or disagree with me on other matters, my job in a republic is to represent them to the best of my ability, and then they get to decide in November if that's what they want or not. That is the voice of Chip Roy. We are going to conclude this conversation for our radio audience, for those watching on CBS News Streaming, and all the great podcast platforms. Stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. That applause you hear is from our crowd here at the Texas Tribune Festival at St. David's Episcopal Church. Our live audience is with us. I'm so glad to have them here and their enthusiasm. Chip Roy, our conversation. This is kind of the uh, fun and games segment of the program, but I'm going to ask you one serious question before we get to the fun and games. Um, this is the week that the United Nations General Assembly has met. There's been tremendous conversation about the fate of Ukraine, what Russia and Vladimir Putin will do after the Russian president hinted more strongly than ever before about the potential use of weapons of mass destruction. He was saying this is not a bluff. I'd like your thoughts on what the stakes are in Ukraine for Europe, for world order, for the United States, and a House Republican majority, should it be achieved, what will it be its financial commitment? Uh, with the Biden administration to Ukraine? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously... You Not a fun and games question, yeah, I grant no, you. that you're, you're going to go from this to... Something. But um, it is... Uh, uh, you said that you talked about the stakes. The stakes are very high, in particular for the people of Ukraine, right, who have been taking it on the chin uh, valiantly, valiantly, pushing back against Putin. Uh, the atrocities are a horror. Uh, uh, it, it, you can't even put it into words. What that means with respect to how Xi views the world, what that means with respect to our commitments to Eastern Europe and our allies in Estonia and Poland. One, one trip I took when I worked for Senator Cruz, we went to Israel, we went to Poland, we went to Kiev, and, or Kiev, I should say, in this context, in Ukraine and uh, Estonia, um, and uh, met with them all about this. This was 2014. You know, uh, and um, it's it's... It's appalling what's happening, and, and, and look, I want to be clear. I firmly support doing what we can to help Ukraine uh, hold that line. That being said, for me, and then I'll answer your question about Republicans. Well, I should just answer the Republican position. I think Republicans, as a block, I think a majority of them have demonstrated they would probably continue to do what we've been doing. Um, they voted as a majority to do so, mm -hmm. and along with Democrats, and so I don't see that policy changing a whole lot, for better or worse. From my standpoint, I, while I support uh, uh, you know, helping and standing alongside Ukraine, I've been very public in my concern that you can't have a blank check without the guns and butter consideration of what that means. We just, $56 billion the beginning part of this year. Now you got another 12 to 18, it's still variable. We're mm -hmm. not sure on the CR here in September, billion dollars. There'll be another ask in December. You have Steny Hoyer down on the floor saying, quote, we're at war. I'm like, well, we never declared war. So I just think we gotta be very careful about how we engage. Because when you write blank checks, when you fuel another nation's sort of proxy war, there are a lot of consequences that flow from that, good and bad. I've had a lot of my friends who've gone over there to help refugees. Um, we all support all of that and wanting to make sure that we can do what we can to help people, human beings, for the atrocities of Putin. But we gotta be very careful and we ought to be thoughtful about how we're doing it and where are the dollars going? How much of the dollars going actually to the Communist Party of China where there's reports saying that some of that's getting to them or to the oligarchs in Ukraine that are enriching themselves on the back of it. So uh, to answer your question, I actually don't think a whole lot will change. And I think I will say that is part of a, to me, a negative of the Republican Party. They reflexively will do almost anything that involves war, military, spending on the defense side of the equation. And I think that is a dangerous reflexive position as opposed to thoughtful one. I've had only a handful of briefings. Most of them have been filled with, with uh, inaccuracies and bad information. From the administration. From the administration. In March. I mean, I sat there with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and all these guys going there. Oh, don't worry. You know, uh, Kiv's going to fall in three days. You're like, well, that didn't happen. Uh, now, okay, so how good was our intelligence? And so I just think we've got to be smart about how we uh, engage on this because there are lives at stake in the process. This is the fun and games part of the program. That question and the lengthy answer, which is appropriate, notwithstanding. So when I say fun and games, there are three questions. This show's been going on for six years. So I've asked every single guest we've had these three questions because I think they're kind of revealing on the fun and games side of the continuum. So take these in whatever order you prefer. Uh, most influential book in your life and why? All-time favorite movie, and if you're driving your congressional district on a very long flight and you're really gonna get some music in your head that is great and motivational or inspirational, what kind of music by artist or genre is that most likely to be? Um, wow, okay, let, let me take them in reverse order because it's easier. Most people do. Um, 
So on the music question, I'm a Texas music junkie. Uh, I'm a, you know, uh, Texas, you know, like sort of the red dirt, Texas country. Um, you know, my wife and I met at, uh, at law school, but our first date was a Willie Nelson concert at Stubbs. Our second date was Pat Green at the old backyard, which doesn't exist now Best Buy, which sucks. Um, you know, I, I go to all the live music shows. I represent Luca Bach, I represent Green Hall, I represent, you know, the Broken Spoke. I go to all the shows. Last show at the Nutty Brown, I live near Nutty Brown. It's now closed because all the good music venues are closing. Um, but I love that. Steve Ray Vaughan is, mm -hmm. is, you know, one of my favorites, obviously, local Austin, who I never got to see live, unfortunately. I saw Jimmy, his brother, and a bunch of blues guys. So uh, that would be on that one. Uh, the second question was, what was Favorite that? movie? Oh, movie. Oh, gosh. Um, and, and if there uh, can be a way to think about it, you're clicking through, and you see it, and you stop. Oh, gosh. I mean, there are so many. It's just hard for me to even begin to think. I mean, I like a lot of the old classics. I like movies like High Noon. I like movies like Casablanca. I like movies like, but I like some, I love war movies. I love Patton. I love, you know, the, I don't know. I, I, I could go down. There's so many. They tend to be towards Three good the choices right there. Yeah, High I mean, Noon, I, Casablanca, the, Patton. That, that, those, that'll suffice. Those are up there. And then, and then book, um, you know, look, I, I, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a Christian, obviously the Bible, that's the easy answer, but Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. uh, is a really important book. Um, I could go through some others. I'm, I'm a junkie of, of history. Um, I loved, um, you know, uh, uh, Killer Angels, Gods and Generals, those kinds of books about the Civil War, Revolution, uh, the Shirah books. Um, anyway, those kind of books. Very good. Chip Roy has been our special guest. Our live audience is going to give it up one last time here at the Texas Tribune Festival. That's been your takeout. I'll take a special. I'm Major Garrett. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.